Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And I have no intro for today. What? what? No. There, I know. there has to be a, a horrible joke or a pun or a weird side eye insult. Nothing? You know, sometimes, Santosh, it's okay to be just about the science. I don't know where this is going. I'm pretty sure I don't like it. <laughs> well,. This week, it's an alternate week, so we're still going to have some fun, because you know what happens on alternate weeks, right? Oh, yeah. It's time for another Journal Club. Yay! Favorite bi-monthly segment coming at you. But this one is going to be just about the science, but I might throw in, I don't know, a little bit about zombie cells. We'll see. (laughs) You You might be able to talk me into it. They're not actually zombie cells, Josh. (laughs) I I feel the heat of your breath through my earpiece 1,500 miles away when you make that sound. This week, we're going to look at a few of the newer updates in science uh, related to COVID. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, and then some not so COVID, which is great. So let's start with the first one, which is that apparently COVID needs cholesterol to invade your cells and form mega cells, Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, is nowhere near as exciting as you think it is. No. Well, it's, it's kind of neat. It's cool to see it under the microscope, actually. This is, this is talking about how some of the cells get together. I'll form the head. 
Well, this is this doesn't quite work in a Voltron esque kind of thing because it's just a big amorphous blob. So you don't really have body parts like arms and legs and stuff, but essentially this is the, it's a type of cell called a syncytia where, and and this actually happens with other types of respiratory viruses, uh, respiratory syncytial virus, so RSV, which causes bronchiolitis, a wheezing disorder in kids. It, it does kind of the same thing where the cells, well, they're trying to fight off the virus and stuff, and the virus actually induces this. you got multiple cells that merge together into a big cell called a syncytium. Every little thing I do forms up into SARS-CoV-2. <laughs> you need that in syncytium again <laughs> so we can get in. Baby, when you finally can yeah. vaccinate me, guess what? We'll end COVID-19. Uh, so- <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Ladies and gents, that was on the fly. There was no prep for that. That was beautiful. There never is. And if you haven't figured out that there's no prep for this show, then <laughs> you haven't been listening. No, no, that's not fair. That's not, there was so much. It wasn't scripted, but you know, you picked the, you picked the article. So basically, as we've covered before, in order to successfully cause COVID-19, the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, has to force its way into people's cells, and it does that by finding the spike protein. But we've since learned that it needs an accomplice, and cholesterol helps the virus to open cells up and slip inside their DMs. (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess in this case, it would be slip inside their ends, which would be the nuclei. Yeah, their direct not nuclei. The, <laughs> their DNs. And that that also is not entirely true because it, it uses the ribosomes on the outside. But, you know, facts kill humor, kids. So. <laughs> All right. So in a preprint study that was posted in December of 2020 – found out that without cholesterol, the virus can't sneak past a cell's protective barrier, which means that those of you on cholesterol-blocking drugs like statins, which in America is a lot of folks with heart disease, uh, may have an additional layer of protection against coronavirus. So Santosh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this study and how it works and how it's involved with insyncia? Synxia. Right, Voltron cells. Got it. (laughs) So this was kind of interesting because they were looking at this mechanism of, uh, oh, uh, by the way, this is Drs. David Sanders et al. And we have it on BioArchive. This was published. Um, when it was, uh, uh, which is, it's getting to be a really good place for a forum, actually, where a person can publish, you know, a, a well-developed uh, piece of work before it gets to peer review. And the neat thing is, it goes onto this forum where other physicians and scientists can actually talk to each other and say, "This is correct. This is not correct," allowing the researchers to actually you know, tweak the paper, do the right experiments, correct it if they need to before it goes to full publication. So. Really, uh, this was awesome. They looked at the mechanism of the spike binding to that ACE2 inhibitor, right? So the the virus binds with its little spike protein and that grabs the ACE2 receptor, which, uh, you know, that's actually for uh, – 
reducing the amount of, you know, like the urine output and blood pressure and all this kind of thing, but it's also found in the lungs. Okay. So after that happens, the membrane, the cell membrane actually comes in and fuses with the lipid envelope of the virus so that the virus can dump itself inside of the cell, you know, kind of eat its way like this. And so these guys, what they did is they started with a microscopy-based cell-cell fusion assay. So they had to come up with a way of actually seeing the cells fusing together. They used a bunch of different drugs, 6,000 in fact, Josh, and then 30 spike variants inside of their assay. This was on the tabletop, on the bench top. And so what they did was they did this cell biology and a biophysical approach. And essentially, they showed that membrane cholesterol, okay, you had to have a certain amount of membrane cholesterol present, which is, by the way, it's cholesterol is a molecule that's in all of our cell membranes. It kind of sits in between the lipid molecules in order to keep things kind of nice and loose and goosey. But this, this membrane cholesterol was actually important in that spike-mediated fusion Okay. And then even when they had, you know, the replicating SARS-CoV-2 virus, that replicating SARS-CoV-2 virus in the Petri dish, it needed that membrane cholesterol in order to complete this fusion. Um, and it, it was really cool because we've seen this, Josh, just like you were saying, was like, why is it that a person who's taking a statin might have a better outcome you know, we don't know it for sure than, than people who's not on a, on a, on a statin, an HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor for high cholesterol. And this actually might explain a little bit of, of why, you know, if you lower the amount of cholesterol overall in the organism, that it there's less cholesterol to actually be utilized in this spike ACE2 membrane fusion combo. Now, this approach was actually really interesting because it's coming from a lab that never worked in this sort of field before. Originally, the team who was doing this just studies the physical forces that organize molecules within cells. But in, you know, spring of 2020, the lab was like, you know, maybe we should look into this hot new trend going around the world. And... (laughs) And so they started investigating how viral and human proteins interact, and they had never worked as a virology lab. So they used a, they came at it with a whole different set of tools and approaches. As you said, you know, when the two cells melded together, it suggested that if the coronavirus or the SARS-CoV-2 membrane lacks cholesterol, the virus simply can't enter. And this isn't the first evidence or study that's shown this. A previous study by University of California, San Diego, found that the body's immune response to the virus produces a compound that depletes cholesterol from the cell's own membrane. So it takes cholesterol out of our cells, thereby denying access to the virus and locking the door behind it. Kind of like the three little pigs. Really, really neat. Yeah, I love how this lab actually translated their skills into investigating this. And they went step by step here in a, in a really cool way, um, examining, you know, what are the fusion events, you know, at that spike ACE2 protein clusters. They actually defined in their assay that you do need syncytia 
in order for the the virus to propagate and for the infection to go forward. So they actually showed really step-by-step. Step. First, we found the syncytia. Now we found what modulates that syncytia formation, including, you know, the cholesterol using these fluorescent assays. And um, finally, they also took a look at, you know, this drug screen that, hey, you know, at least in this dish, if we say that that cholesterol is needed and we're forming the syncytia, if we add, you know, this drug or that drug, will it actually interfere with this whole process as a whole? So I love the kind of chain of logic that they followed in order to utilize the skills they already had in cell physiology and, you know, biological and microscopic structure and all this kind of thing, and then apply it to COVID. I, that's super cool. So what does this mean for us in terms of COVID treatment? Well, right now, not much. Uh, it's You know, it's an interesting thing that may lead to other studies and could potentially lead to help uh, stop gaps while we're waiting for vaccines. But it doesn't mean that you should run out and ask your doctor to put you on a statin because we can't guarantee that it definitively will provide an additional protective effect. But if you already happen to be on one, well, congrats. It's probably helping you out at least a little. <laughs> and we've, interestingly, Josh, I think we've found this out in a lot of different cases that a statin actually helps, you know, decrease inflammation overall in more ways than one, not just dropping blood levels of cholesterol. So it's cool to know that these off-target kind of effects are are beneficial and, you know, understanding how this type of a medication is protective for a person. And speaking of off-target effects, that rolls us right into our next story, where a new COVID-19 treatment has been found in an unexpected cancer drug. So let's fly off to sunny Ibiza. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Ibiza. A new COVID-19 drug, which is actually an old cancer drug, which is actually derived from a sea squirt. Which has, they would pronounce a sea squirt. Sea squirt. That's historically been used to treat cancer, has been found to be about 27 times more effective than remdesivir. And this was published pretty recently in the Journal of Science. Plitidepsin. Or aplidin. Or aplidin, yes. It's got uh, a couple of different names here, yeah which is developed by the Spanish drug company Pharmamar, or Drugs by the Sea, which is <laughs> such a beautiful name. <laughs> oh, I like that. I really, really do. Normally used to treat multiple myeloma, which is a form of bone marrow cancer. Um, and it was identified in as a potential treatment in March of 2020 at UCSF. And since then, it's already completed phase one and phase two clinical trials and is expected to enter a phase three trial, oh, any day now. And then it might come to hospitals where we can use it alongside remdesivir to help uh, treat people who have active COVID. So where does it come from? sea squirts, but specifically a sea squirt called Aplidium albicans only found in waters around Ibiza. So this is a party time sea squirt. <laughs> it is. For those of us, uh, I should say those of our listeners who are unaware, Ibiza is, uh, I don't know, Josh, maybe like a Las Vegas or a... It's a it's, giant it's rave. A, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a singles, hot people, you know, very sexy, and you go there and you get at the gonorrhea. <laughs> oh, too sexy, too sexy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those like if you're if you're doing like an ultimate trip, if you just want to be naked around other beautiful people dancing to uns uns music, Ibiza <laughs> was formerly the place to go. Now I like to hang out at my couch. Sometimes my fridge. <laughs> you, you rebel, you. But the really cool thing about this is, one, we already know some of the human efficacy because it has been used as a cancer drug. And this was specifically sought out and tested. So this was a data-driven study. They didn't just randomly screen drugs and say, oh, you know, let's chuck all these things at COVID and see what does it. They looked at the data and they targeted human proteins that the virus needs to activate. And they say, if you target a human protein, the virus has the virus has to use to enter, then the virus will never mutate away from being reliant on that human protein. So rather than attacking the virus, they looked for drugs that relied on unchangeable features of our own cells. Now, this is interesting because it's normally pretty unusual to test cancer drugs on viruses, mostly because cancer drugs are harmful to all cells, not just viruses. <laughs> or it has some degree of toxicity to you know, a, a large number of cells, mostly those types of cells that divide quickly. Now, the study also noted that the patients being treated for COVID-19 with this drug required substantially lower doses of aplidin, as well as a shorter treatment period than cancer patients do, which means a lot of the toxicity effects you'd be worried giving it for oncology purposes actually are decreased when you're using it for infectious disease purposes. Um, one limitation is that it can only be administered at a hospital, very similar to remdesivir. So this is not like our bam, lam, ivavab. Whoa, black Betty. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not an outpatient preventative medication. We, we do want to try to develop as many of those as possible to actually keep people out of the hospital. And it's, it's super helpful to have those, but this one is for those folks who are acutely ill. Now I will say, Josh, there's always a worry with this type of antiviral approach when it comes to COVID because there is this kind of two-step or two-hit model that happens with COVID. First, you get the viral infection. Then the virus you get the money. Then oh you God. get the women. <laughs> Stop it. No, no, no. You, you, you have a viral infection that starts. You have damage from the actual virus replicating and destroying cells, creating syncytia. And then afterward, while your immune system is trying to clear away the virus, there is that inflammatory phase. And that can happen, you know, two weeks after the initial symptoms where, you know, we have a, a lot of our patients going into horrible lung disease and, or it can be a, a post-infectious inflammatory thing like in kids where you get Miss C, um, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome. So it is helpful to know that we can attack the virus and actually attack the virus binding to cells and attacking cells. And hopefully that'll forestall the actual inflammatory phase afterwards. But that's the bridge that we still don't completely get yet because even in those folks, for instance, where 
they they respond really well to remdesivir and the viral load goes way down and you can't detect it anymore you still have some of those people who go on to have inflammatory disease that destroy the lungs interestingly this drug is also been shown to be very effective against the british variant of coronavirus that's popped up and you know that's the hot new thing all the pokemon versions of (laughs) covid showing up in brazil and south africa in britain that may require multiple booster shots when people finally do start getting vaccine rolled out so this is a treatment that could be effective against not only you know covid original but also extra spicy (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to take away the extra spicy for a bit. And I know this is kind of a, it's a side bit, but please, please folks, new and mutated virus does not mean dangerous killer. I'm going to eat you virus. Okay. It just means that it has a certain number of mutations where certain medications or antibodies may not work. But so far, Okay, except for some mathematical predictions, we have not actually seen that any of these variants are any more virulent or contagious than any one others. Uh, some of them are a little more contagious, but they do not a appear to be yeah. more dangerous once you've caught it right. than existing COVID, which is still pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah that's true. So I, I do want to put that out there that it is important, you know, if we're, if we're fighting this, that we are able to generalize our treatment to fighting not only the, the OG, but many different types of the variations on, on SARS-CoV-2 that are coming out, the strains. But the the necessity is not so sharp. You know, we're not we're not drowning. If you'd like to get more into the nitty gritty of the study and how it affects uh, negative sense RNA production and eukaryotic translation, I will link to the article in Science. But the the big takeaway is that we now may have, at least in the somewhat near future, depending on these phase three trials, another treatment for patients hospitalized with multiple variants of the coronavirus in addition to remdesivir. Woohoo! Um, but boy, that's stressful, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, if only there was something I could just sit back and relax and, and take in that could, that could de-stress me. I'd ask my other doctor friend, Santos, should we ring up Dr. Dre? <laughs> I, I believe you can trust him. He's a doctor. Well, uh, this next article is not about fighting coronavirus, but it turns out that, and disclaimer, I'm about to make a joke. Please don't take me seriously. Uh, (laughs) But it turns out this next virus is smoking weed every day. It may fight gonorrhea. (laughs) Let me put forward all the lies in the statement I just made for the sake of a cheesy music joke. (laughs) yeah and this one i think i I can't remember josh this one was a a a full-on study on looking at uh, cbd on cannabidiol yes so it's not actually uh tetrahydrocannabidiol or the mary jane but synthetic cbd 
has been shown to kill gonorrhea, which may mean that synthetic CBD could be considered the first new antibiotic for resistant bacteria in over 60 years. Good <laughs> job, weed. <laughs> yeah, and and to be sure here, it's not uh, you know the first type of uh, getting over resistance and that kind of it, it's not really the very first one it's a it's a first type of class i guess i should say so for instance josh they've been trying to make broader and broader uh, carbapenems or cephalosporins but this is a new type of class a whole different type of molecule instead of just trying to modify parent molecules that we've used in the past Right. It's not just a whole new ball game. It's potentially a whole new sport. We'll call it rollerball. So at the University of Queensland in Australia, Dr. Mark Blaskovich, director of the Center of Superbug Solutions, which is an amazing name for... Dude, those scientists know how to name their centers. Right. You know, they they didn't use some highly technical, you know, center for research into resistant microorganisms or that. They just went for it. So here we are at the Center of Superbug Solutions, where we've decided to study synthetic cannabidiol, of course. <laughs> Is that your Australian accent? <laughs> or it's also my New Zealand accent because I'm terrible at accents. <laughs> And your South African accent, and sometimes your Irish accent. (laughs) I have many talents. Voices is not one of them. By the way, all of which are your pirate accent. (laughs) Yar, it be true. (laughs) As we've talked about in previous episodes of the show, one of the newest multi-drug resistant infections is gonorrhea because, well, let's face it, it's traded quite a lot around the world and (laughs) yeah and we've reached a point where in some developed countries no available treatment options are effective it is resistant to every single bug out there and according to the world health organization there are only three potential drug treatments in various stages of trials but it's not even clear if they'll prove effective against these new strains of gonorrhea so this is where synthetic cbd may lend a helping hand. It is the second second most abundant cannabidiol found in the cannabis plant. And unlike THC, it's non-psychoactive, meaning it doesn't actually make you high. Thus Thus putting the lie to my amazing segue. It it really, really was. So, Josh, gonorrhea is interesting. <laughs> gonorrhea is interesting in that a lot of the times when we get a bacterial infection, we treat it and we get over it and we become immune. We have antibodies that form against it. And really, we don't have to worry as long as we're clinically well after that first hit. We don't have to worry about reacquiring the same disease and having to fight it again. Gonorrhea, chlamydia, they're a little bit odd because where they cause infection in, you know, the interface of the urethra and the prostate, fallopian tubes, there's actually 
it's not a great place for immune memory to form. So people can get infected over and over and you have to treat and retreat and retreat. And in those types of diseases where you have bacteria that are continually exposed to antibiotics, there's just going to be a systemic selection where, sorry, systematic selection, where just over time, you're going to keep selecting the resistant mutants and selecting and selecting. And as long as there's antibiotic pressure, you're going to keep getting variants that are more and more broadly resistant. And that's what we're stuck with. If you are in China, if you're in Pakistan, if you're in parts of India, and you catch gonorrhea there <laughs> on your trip, uh, then you can be in deep trouble because they're, you know, over here, Josh, we give a single shot, right? Ceftriaxone, azithromycin, done. Over there, you you might be hosed. You you know, your, your penis is going to fall off. That's it. That's your solution. So the question is, how does CBD actually work as an antibiotic? And... That's a good question. <laughs> we don't <laughs> entirely understand the answer. Now, they did show in these early studies that it's very effective at breaking down biofilms, uh, such mm -hmm. as the ones we also see caused by MRSA, Golden Staff. Even though it has some antibiotic activity against both gram-positive and to a lesser extent gram-negative bacteria, the scientists still aren't entirely sure how they destroy the bacteria aside from the biofilms. For now, they just know it works well, and they think maybe it bursts the outer cell membrane, but they need to study it further. Uh, the important takeaway that they were able to learn is that there is a very low tendency to cause resistance in bacteria, even when they sped up potential resistance development by rapidly increasing concentrations of the antibiotic, meaning these bacteria got so high, they forgot to form resistance. <laughs> Okay, well, that's uh, flatly not true. <laughs> but th this is kind of a holy grail that we look for is that the mechanism of uh, not resistance, but the way that you are attacking an organism it is it's such a vulnerable point that in order for the bacteria to genetically or proteomically or, or in this case with lipids, if they try to alter that, whatever that is that, that the CBD is attacking, then that alteration itself is not compatible with life. Like they can't, they can't do that. It's a little bit like what we were talking about before with SARS-CoV-2, with COVID. If COVID alters its spike protein enough, it's not going to be able to bind. It can't cause infection, at least in humans. So this is the same kind of thing. If you're able to find a target that you can hit with a weapon, like hopefully here with CBD, then the, that bacteria can't really do anything beneficial to itself that can still give or grant resistance to the offending molecule and still stay alive. Also interesting, this CBD formulation can be administered topically. So Ooh, they yeah. are looking into potentially, you know, smearing a little around your nose to combat MRSA pre-surgically or, mm -hmm. you know, 
a little dab will do you for whatever infection. Imagine an antibiotic <laughs> that you can just smear on yourself. Mm. Well, no, no. <laughs> we do that all the time, right? We have Neosporin contains antibiotics and we have Mupiracin or Bactroban that we use for, uh, you know, exactly what you said, Josh, decolonization in your nostrils. Uh, I don't know how it would go with urethritis, I'm pretty sure you that would be uh, – I'm going to let everybody take a moment to clench. Uh, it would be a urethral suppository. <laughs> uh, so that would be done. But potentially for women, actually, the same way that a woman would insert a tampon or an ovule for taking care of candidiasis, you could use this as a, uh, a topical in the vaginal canal to treat vaginitis and cervicitis from... It was tested. It was generally inactive against the escape gram-negative bacteria, E-S-K-A-P-E. Santosh, you can tell what yeah. those stand for. <laughs> so, that you, so that's E. coli, all right? Klebsiella. And then uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa and Acinetobacter. So these are bacteria that traditionally are some of the most resistant, either intrinsically or they have formed resistance over time. But interestingly, even though, and by the way, Josh, these are responsible for the vast majority of gram-negative disease, whether it's sepsis or pneumonia or, or any of those. But Neisseria, so we have Neisseria meningitidis, which can cause meningitis and sepsis, and then Neisseria gonorrhea, and then Moraxella cateralis, which can cause pneumonia and otitis media, Legionella, Josh, Legionnaire's disease. So those Neisseria, Moraxella, and Legionella, the CBD had great activity. Yeah, and that's, as we said, something that we really don't have a lot of treatments for. Our, our options are slim to running out. So yeah. having something that works even at kind of a lower level effectiveness like Neosporin or Bactroban could make a huge difference and be potentially life-saving in the future. Yeah. And Josh, I got to say, this was so cool because they did test this against uh, resistant strains. So they have CDC reference strains that they can actually purchase. And so they tested it on ciprofloxacin resistant azithromycin resistant, ceftriaxone resistant bacteria, and it worked really, really well. Um, I will say they, they were able to kind of figure out why the, the resistant bacteria like E. coli or Pseudomonas, why the CBD didn't work against them. And Josh, I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite resistance defense mechanisms on a bacteria. They've got something called an efflux pump. Is, is that, that is that what lets you travel back in time with Doc Brown? No, 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 no. <laughs> An efflux pump is literally a tiny molecular pump that bacteria have developed in order to take a molecule or a chemical that they don't like that has made its way inside of the cell and pump it back out. Efflux pump. Get it, get it out of there. So the mutants of E. coli and Pseudomonas that had evolved these efflux pumps, CBD didn't work. So we, it does tell us that CBD probably does need to get inside of the cell and stay in there in order to wreck the machinery inside of the cell. If the bacteria have developed this efflux pump, you're done. So the CDC took CBD and found a way to put it in your pee, and then it yeah, fights, the, and then it fights the gonorrhea and disrupts biofilms, saving me. 
<laughs> oh, that was the other part that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. On on Staph aureus. So a lot of these other bacteria, if you have any foreign material in your body, if you have an artificial valve, if you have a, a long-term intravenous catheter, it, this bacteria can go onto this plastic and form something called a biofilm, which is this sticky, slimy substance where they can just hide out while you're getting antibiotics. And then when the antibiotics are gone, they can just burst out because the antibiotics can't penetrate that slime. It's called a biofilm. And Josh, this CBD actually penetrated biofilms and made it horribly difficult for bacteria like Staph aureus to actually establish a biofilm. And I wonder if that has anything to do with the the lipophilic or lipid-loving properties inherent to these cannabidiol molecules. It makes them yeah. easier for them to slide into these kind of ooey-gooey, slimy uh, formations. Now, this is speculation because, as I said, they don't really understand the mechanism yet, and more study will be required. But if I were a gambling man, that <laughs> is where I would lay my money. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, and ultimately, the last thing that we talked about is the bacteria's innate ability to form resistance to the cannabidiol, it's it's really, really low. So they tested this on MRSA. They basically serially passed the MRSA, the Staph aureus, you know, from, from plate to plate, from broth to broth that contained CBD and looked for a point at which they would start to get resistance or that the minimum inhibitory concentration would start to go up. And Josh, they went all the way out to like 24 days and they couldn't, you know, the, the bacteria just was not mounting any resistance. It was nice and stable the whole way through. That's right, dog. Test, test, pass. <laughs> well, in this case, not pass because, you know, die. Right. Well, the last thing we want to sign for it to die and then come back to life because stop it. <laughs> yeah. Which which brings us to our last study. <laughs> Jesus. Fine. That's right. My segues are as good or bad as ever. <laughs> they have now found drugs that remove zombie cells may help you live longer. And I was just tickled by this article because I never thought of our body as having zombie cells. And I was immensely disappointed when they did not do what I thought they did. No. Yeah. Well, they're kind of right. They're almost, I, I think you can call them kind of parasitic cells. So but that's way less exciting. So yeah, <laughs> Okay, all right. So previously, what we're calling zombie cells were previously mm. known by the medical community as senescent or aging or deteriorating cells. You know, uh, each cell goes through a number of divisions, and every time it divides, it gets just a little bit less effective uh, with a certain point when it is simply no longer effective at all, and it's turned into a brick like your, I don't know, iPhone from six months ago. How often do they... Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it's it's pretty common but scientists have long known that a gradual accumulation of these senescent cells is linked to conditions such as arthritis parkinson's and alzheimer's it is not a cause but the burden of aging cells uh, simply adds to the disease uh, you can think of it as they're little vacuum cleaners that don't really work efficiently but 
you know, because they still work a bit, you know, they still get some dust, if not all, the body doesn't clear them out and haul them off to the dump. Uh, at the same time, they're too damaged to carry out their normal functions or repair tissue, and they're not replaced by the newer models. So they clog up the works, and this leads to a gradual deterioration of the body. So as we age, everything kind of slows down, doesn't function quite as well, and that goes double for our health processes and things that protect us, and also for diseases we have as our cells get less effective at keeping us running, we slow down and that disease burden can appear greater. So in previous studies done with animals, removing some of these broken down vacuum style cells was seen to, and I'm going to be very careful about my my wording here. It was okay. seen to apparently reverse the cell aging process and lead to go. extended cell lifespan. There you go. I think that's the important one. Uh, yeah, yeah. You have a limited amount of energy and resources in your body, right? So if you have cells which are just hanging around and consuming some of that energy, and not only that, but some of the production as well coming out of that cell. So as a, for instance, osteoblasts are supposed to weave bone. They're supposed to make bone. If they're just hanging out and consuming energy, but they're not spitting out proper bone matrix, but they're just, you know, they're, they're spitting out, you know, maybe a broken, you know, protein strand or um, their, their production is low for the amount of energy that's going into sustaining the cell, all these kind of things. Well, a couple of things happen. One, you have poor bones, right? They're, they're not being made properly in the area of that particular cell. But interestingly enough, because that cell is still around, the signaling that would normally happen to say, oh, make more osteoblasts in order to create you know, the right amount of healthy bone, that's not there because that local area says, you know, there are plenty of bone cells here. You, there are plenty of osteoblasts. We don't need any more. So it holds up that replication of the younger generation of cells to come in and actually make, you know, proper bone matrix. So this would be an example of how, for instance, there would be a, you know, osteoporosis would set in in an aging person. So let's talk about this OK Boomer trial. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The three-week trial had 14 volunteers, all elderly and with pulmonary fibrosis, which is a disease that pretty much can kill people about six to eight years uh, after it is diagnosed because your lungs just get very scar tissue-y. They, they become yeah. less effective at exchanging air and all clogged up. Um, and it's really, there's no effective permanent or curative treatment other than a lung transplant. And in most of the people who develop this are simply have too many other diseases to successfully undergo transplantation. Right, right. So it's going to be an older person. They're not going to withstand transplant very well. You're, in the meanwhile, their lung is being taken over rather than by the normal cells, which would A, produce mucus, you know, or and B, the other ones which actually exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide from the blood to the air. It's just being replaced by SCAR. So these patients were given a drug called Desatinib, uh, nicknamed DQ, like Dairy Queen. 
Sure. And once again, just like in our previous study, this is a drug that is already licensed for killing cancer cells in people with leukemia, and it has been combined with another drug, quercetin, a common plant pigment found in things like red wine, green tea, and St. John's wort. Mm -hmm. This combination was given, and after the drug was given, the results showed after the trial, participants could walk up to an extra 25 yards during a six-minute jaunt and get up from their chairs two seconds more quickly. Now, aside from making them much better musical chairs players, I know that doesn't (laughs) sound like a big deal, but in people with pulmonary fibrosis, being able to walk an extra 25 yards over six minutes is actually a pretty significant gain, and they scored an extra point on functionality test, moving from an average of 10 to 11 points. So it doesn't, you know, it's not setting you up for the next Olympics, but it is providing functional improvement in activities of daily living. Yeah. For you comic book nerds, this isn't the Lazarus Pits, you know, Rachel Ghoul and all that crazy stuff. This is for right now, this very small intermittent uh, DQ infusion really just number one slowed the deterioration of uh, of lung disease that was happening but basically what you were doing for these folks and what it, it showed in this very small trial was that they could at least do now some some basic functions around their house so that as a for instance they didn't run out of breath just getting up from the living room to try to go to the bathroom so we're we're really you know at baby steps right now, but this is kind of cool, Josh, because it shows us that even in a, in a small controlled way, that this type of uh, kind of attacking diseases in this way, this mode of of attacking aging diseases, it can work, even if it's limited, even if it's very very small. The strategy is a valid one. And it's something that, at least in this early study, is just given on a once a month basis. It has kind of a hit and run effect, you know, about as often as you go to DQ. So (laughs) you take it, it removes a certain proportion of those aging cells, giving the body time to produce some new younger cells. And Mm -hmm. then after a while, you clean out another batch and go on. So they still don't know things like what's the right dosage? How frequently should it be administered? Will it lead to treatment of other aging diseases? But this class of drugs is now being renamed the senolytics or age breakers. Yeah. (laughs) It's the senescence breakers, right? Yeah. And the potential is really awesome, right? Someone who really has the will, the desire to want to be, you know, productive or robust or, or anything that you can think of, but for one reason or another, whether it's their brain and Alzheimer's or it's pulmonary fibrosis or it's their heart or it's their bones, their body is betraying them. Like it's it's giving up before the person you know, has, has a chance for, uh, really, you know, looking for a way to, to kind of keep going and either be productive for themselves or, or other people. So I, I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I really love it. So that is the last of our stories. And I would say all of these show, you know, probably science. There you go. That's this week's journal club, probably science. (laughs) 
there was a good amount of science in here, Josh. I applaud your choices. It was this was an awesome uh, set of episodes. I liked it. So that's it for this week. As always, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. This show is produced by me with with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends, occasionally fueled by Dairy Queen, who is not a sponsor. If you like open close by here. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to some of the sources used in researching this episode. Until next time, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, and uh, once you're done braving DQ and getting your CBD, if you're lucky enough to be vaccinated or have countries open to you, happy travels. Oh god, I broke him. <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.